0: Welcome back to another week of the Black Valor Podcast. This episode is a week late and I apologize for that and hope to make up for it with some extra information. Part of the reason why this episode is late is because I was attending a museum course at the National Museum of the United States Air Force. Out of that, I was able to get some great pictures of uh, their Tuskegee Airmen picture collection, and I will be posting those to the BlackValor.net site, so you can go see those probably within this next week. I'll get those up there. And there's also going to be a new gallery going up in relation to our uh, topic for this week, which is Private Henry Lincoln Johnson, who served with the 369th during World War I. So, as I said, today we are going back to the First Great War, World War I. Our subject for this podcast is Private Henry Lincoln Johnson. Private Johnson served with the 93rd Division's Black 369th Infantry Regiment under General Black Jack Pershing. The 369th Infantry was the first of the 93rd Division to arrive in France during the war when they disembarked at Brest in December 1917. Upon arrival to Europe, General Pershing promptly assigned all the black units to French commands, which effectively separated them from the U.S. Army's expeditionary force that went to fight the war. Colonel William Hayward, the 369th Infantry's commander, stated of Pershing, Our great American general simply put the black orphan in a basket, set it on the doorstop of the French, pulled the bell, and went away, which, sums up his feelings on being assigned to the French command. There was one positive outcome, though, of Pershing's order. That's that the troops under French control had more opportunity to fight the enemy rather than just dig ditches, which is where many of the black soldiers found themselves assigned who followed the 369th, and if they weren't assigned to the French units. As they were relatively free from the crippling racism that was practiced in the American Army, black soldiers received many opportunities to prove they were capable of fighting. Throughout the war, heroic exploits of the 93rd Division soldiers featured in nationally circulated newspapers, journals, and magazines. Private, and he was soon to be a sergeant, Henry Lincoln Johnson, was one of the soldiers that propelled to the spotlight for his gallant actions in fighting the German army. Henry Johnson called Albany, New York home where he lived with his wife Edna Johnson and Henry and Edna were married two years before he left for his assignment with the army. Records and pictures indicate he was a small person, small in stature. He stood five foot three and weighed only 130 pounds. Before joining the military, Johnson worked as a red cap porter at New York Central Railroad. red cap porters were those who just moved cargo and things around for the railroad. After enlisting on 5 June 1917, he was assigned to Company C, 15th New York Infantry, which was a National Guard unit, actually. The 15th New York Infantry became the 369th Infantry Regiment, for duration of the war. After a slight detour to South Carolina for combat training, Johnson rejoined his unit in France on New Year's Day 1918. Once there, French commanders had positioned the 369th to help secure sections of the Argonne Force north of St. Menehaut in April. At the end of the month, the unit was positioned near ville sur tourbe on the west bank of the Aisne River. At the time, the German army was aggressively assaulting Allied forces across the length of their lines, and they threatened to break through at many places. So, this was a very perilous time for the Allied forces. For their part, the 369th held approximately 20% of the Champagne Marne territory that American troops were responsible for securing. On 14 May, Privates Needham Roberts from Trenton, New Jersey, and Johnson were assigned to Outpost 29 as sentries. Outpost 29 overlooked a bridge that crossed the Iron River. German high command knew where the black troops were located and they had even told their leaders the black American positions could be easily overrun and their soldiers captured. So they took this to heart. Around 1 a.m., A German sniper took shots at Johnson and Needham. And just to mention, Needham was only 17 years old at the time. And the German, uh, he was firing from a bush approximately 50 yards away from their position. Private Johnson expected more trouble than a lone sniper. And he began preparing. He opened a box of 30 grenades, placing them in a row in front of them, just laying them out so they could easily get at them. One hour later... Johnson heard the Germans cutting their communications lines and he instructed Roberts to alert the troops at a nearby sentry post so they could come over while he lobbed a grenade at the encroaching enemy. The Germans, representing a 12 to 20 man raiding party, I have seen numbers as high as 24 or 32, but on average about 12 to 20 men were expected in this German raiding party. They recognized the element of surprise was lost, and they charged towards Johnson and Roberts' position. While closing the distance to the Americans, the Germans threw grenades and used firearms, including shotguns, to try and silence their position. In return, Johnson killed one enemy and wounded two others outright, just in that initial assault. In the initial moments of the skirmish, both Johnson and Roberts became injured. Roberts was shot in the leg or his hip and could not move. There's some debate again there, but usually I see leg. Johnson received three wounds from grenade fragments and shotgun blasts or firearms blast. Coolly, Johnson and Roberts waited until the Germans closed on their position before returning fire. Once the enemy was almost upon them, then Johnson began firing his rifle while Roberts propped himself up and threw grenades at them, because obviously he couldn't be mobile like Johnson. Within seconds, the two sides were together and fighting hand to hand, and they were outnumbered 10 to 1. Johnson shortly thereafter ran out of ammunition. Some of the Germans overpowered Roberts and started to drag him away. Johnson floored another German with the butt of his rifle and gave chase to the men carrying Roberts. Only weapon he had left at this point was an army issued bolo knife. while well, bolo knives are pretty distinct items because of their utilitarian design. They're short and heavy and they have the weight of a cleaver but there's a butcher knife point so it's There's a picture on the website so you can get an idea of what this weapon looks like. It's not a pretty weapon, but very effective and not something you want to have used on you. Upon catching up to the raiders, Johnson buried his bolo in the head of one man and turned around to disembowel the man that was holding Robert's feet. Surprisingly, the soldier Johnson bashed in the head was the leader and must have been an exile from the United States. He spoke to Johnson in perfect, unaccented American English and said, Oh, that son of a gun got me. You can substitute that for whatever word. Or the little black blank has got me. Reportedly, Johnson replied, Yes, and this little black so-and-so will get you if you get up. So he continued to attack the Germans with his bolo and Roberts recovered enough so that he can uh, resume throwing grenades at the Germans. At one point, the diminutive soldier threw a German over his head and stabbed him in the ribs when he came down. The Germans decided that the black troops were not as easy to capture as they had been informed, so they grabbed their wounded and dead and began to retreat across no man's land to their own lines. Following this hour-long skirmish, Johnson fainted from shock. Most likely, it was the result of blood loss. Reinforcements arrived, and they followed the blood trails of the Germans, their boot prints, and discarded equipment to corroborate the number of enemy soldiers who attacked the sentry posts. The Germans had left four of their friends dead on the field, so there was some record of, How many people that were there who attacked them? Both Johnson and Roberts were sent to a French hospital. There it was found while Johnson was treated for 19 to 21 wounds on his left arm, his back, feet, and face. Mainly, those wounds were from knives and bayonets, which is a testament to the fact that this was close in hand-to-hand fighting. There weren't a lot of gun wounds or bullet wounds on those men after the initial engagement. Doctors had to actually insert a silver plate into his left foot to help keep it together. So, after these events, praise for Johnson and Roberts' actions resounded throughout the French and American armies. Colonel Hayward wrote to Edna Johnson to explain her husband's condition. In the letter, he stated, Your husband, Private Henry Johnson, is in my regiment. He has been at all times a good soldier and a good boy of fine morale and upright character. To these admirable traits he has lately added the most convincing numbers of fine courage and fighting ability. I regret to say at the moment that he is in the hospital, seriously but not dangerously wounded. The wounds having been received under such circumstances that every one of us in the regiment would be pleased and proud to trade places with him. The French general, commanding the 369th, awarded Privates Johnson and Roberts the Croix de Guerre, which is French for Cross of War. Johnson's medal was of a higher ranking as he received a gold palm on his award. This was the highest decoration France has for bravery. Also, Johnson was the first American to receive the Croix de Guerre. Johnson and Roberts received promotions to sergeant shortly afterwards for their actions. In America, newspapers like the Boston Globe dedicated space to retell Johnson's story about the attack. When people asked him about being a hero, he said, there wasn't anything so fine about it. Just fought for my life. A rabbit would have done that. On 17 February 1919, the 369th now dubbed the Harlem Hellfighters, and they were given that name by the French, belatedly by the Germans as well. But they returned to America and were greeted with rapturous praise. There was a ticker tape parade held along New York City's Fifth Avenue, which was approximately seven-mile procession crowded with people. Johnson, now called Black Death, joined the procession from the seat of a Cadillac because of his war injuries, and was the star of the parade. When he returned to Albany, Governor Alfred E. Smith met his train and gave a dinner in his honor. The governor also promised Johnson some monetary award and a street dedication in his name. None of the promises of the governor bore fruit. They did name a street after the first white soldier to enlist, but never one for Johnson. For a time, Johnson and Colonel Hayward toured the country to sell war bonds. During the tour, he was sent home after claims that he referred to a white person as a cracker in Texas. Quickly, it was apparent America no longer remembered what Sergeant Henry Johnson accomplished for the country. When he separated from the Army, Johnson received little more than his discharge papers. The Army never recognized his military feats or his combat disability. Despite the extensive injuries he received, Johnson never even was given a Purple Heart. Without acknowledgment of his debilitating wounds received in battle, Johnson could not claim disability. After the war, he returned to his job as a red cap, but he could not keep up with the job. His injuries kept him from carrying and lifting as much as he had before. Johnson had a wife, three kids, and injuries that prevented him from working, which not a good recipe for those times, for any time. But within the span of 10 years, he would die alone at the age of 32, estranged from his family and suffering from bouts of alcoholism. His son, Herman Johnson, who was actually a Tuskegee Airman fighter pilot during World War II himself, fought for years to see his father's accomplishments recognized. In 1996, Sergeant Henry Lincoln Johnson was awarded the Purple Heart. Herman Johnson continued to campaign for his father to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor and in 2003, a partial victory was achieved. In an act of Congress in 2002, Henry Johnson was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. His son, at this time then 86 years old, received the medal on his father's behalf on 17 February 2003. Immediately after the ceremony, Herman donated the medal to the Albany Chapter of New York's Army National Guard 369th Infantry Regiment. This concludes our podcast on Henry Lincoln Johnson. There's a lot of information, a lot of details out there. I encourage you to look for yourself. Uh, We'll put some pictures and things on the website on blackvalor.net, as I said. For some of my sources, I used uh, the 93rd Division Summary of Operations in the World War. That's put out by the American Battle Monuments Commission. The Employment of Negro Troops by Ulysses Lee, one of my standbys and favorites. Henry Lincoln Johnson, Sergeant. That's a site on the Arlington National Cemetery website. American Patriots by Gail Buckley. Before the Mayflower by Larone Bennett Jr. Remembering Henry Johnson, The Soldier Called Black Death. That's an article on SmithsonianMag.com. Sergeant Henry Lincoln Johnson, Perhaps the Most Tragic Hero of Them All. That's on TheExaminer.com. Army General Order 9, November 2005, which actually lists the citation. And The American Negro in the World War, Chapter 18 by E.J. Scott which is a very good book that's available free on Google Books. And it's a very old one as well. But I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, please take time to write a review on iTunes. You can also find us on Facebook at Black Valor and on Twitter for Black Valor. You can email me at blackvalor1010 at gmail.com. And I would like to hear your comments. On the website, we have forums. So if there's a specific topic you would like me to cover or just discuss, go ahead and add that there. Thank you. And we'll see you in two weeks.